Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another edition of the Breakfast Show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Today is Wednesday, the 18th of October 2023, with myself, Shajir Ahmed, and also Abdul Halim. How are you doing this, uh, this morning? I'm very well, alhamdulillah. Um, how have you been? It's a chilly start of the day isn't it now? yeah it is it is i mean it is getting uh i mean the weather is changing quite uh quite rapidly quite drastically yeah. but it's turning into what it's supposed to be because of the month that we're in right mean, now i yeah. know what you mean yeah only a f- only a few days ago it was uh <laughs> quite warm i think three days ago i remember yeah. my son was just in the garden with shorts and oh, right <laughs> and now <laughs> you can't even step outside without a jacket i mean yeah literally because yesterday uh yesterday um uh, so it's not yesterday uh, A week ago hmm. Yeah A week ago uh, You know I wasn't wearing a jacket as well But now Exactly Wearing a jumper and a jacket <laughs> And the heating's on <laughs> And the heating's on as well And the heating's on as well yeah. Um, So yeah definitely It's uh, You know It's like that um, But that uh, That is also why That is also why A lot of people get Get ill hmm. um, Because It's unpredictable Exactly Especially here in the UK hmm. It's very unpredictable Because we so one day, you know, would have once even just one particular day would have a lot of different seasons in it. Yeah. So you know, you need to. That's you need the to, British weather, isn't it? That's the that's the British weather. Especially when kids are going to school now, there's all sorts of uh, viruses they <laughs> they're getting and they're coming back and then we're yeah. getting ill from yeah. them. I mean, they, yeah. Recently, I'm not sure about you, but uh, my son recently had his uh, um, nasal uh, yeah. nasal jab as well. Yeah. I think you know the, for the for, for the, the season, season as well. So, so it's, you know, it's a good thing. Mm. Um, just looking at the weather, particularly as well, the BBC reports that today will be windy um, for 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 many, uh, rather cloudy, uh, rather cloudy across the south and west, with outbreaks of rain becoming heavy and persistent throughout the afternoon. Uh, we mostly dry. Um, with some sunny spells for northern and eastern areas as well, but tonight, Storm Babbitt. I mean, that's what that's what they're calling yeah. this. Uh, this storm moves further northwards tonight, with heavy and persistent rain, specific, uh, especially in Northern Ireland. It will be dry in Northern Scotland. Heavy showers in the southwest later, windy and mild for for many. Um, so that's what the weather is looking like um, today and uh, tonight, but uh, tomorrow. The rain heavy he, will be heavy and persistent, so it's going to be quite mm. a lot of rain. It will become uh, confined to Scotland and northeast England with strong to gale force winds as well. Mm. Scattered showers elsewhere with sunny spells in the, in the southwest. But on Friday and onto the weekend, so Friday the south and east will remain unsettled with prolonged outbreaks of rain. So it's going to be it's going to be quite wet. I think looking at the weather map, you can just see that th- throughout this whole week, it'll yeah. just be raining. Yeah. And it's due to the storm babbit, you said, right? It's due to the storm babbit yeah. as well, because this has been quite quite a cold breeze as well. Mm. That is brought, brought along. On Saturday, the east is expected to remain cloudy and wet, but the rain will become lighter and showers in the southwest, but mostly cloudy and dry elsewhere. And generally dry and less windy on Sunday mm. with showers in some places as well. Yeah. So, you know, it is going to be wet. It is going to be windy. Mm. As expected. As expected. Mm. So some sunny spells here and there. It could be dry here and there, but mostly it's going to be it's going to be raining as well. Um, that's what the weather forecast is actually, uh, you know, predicting as well. Yeah. Talking about 
what we you know today on the on the breakfast show we're going to be talking about um two main topics firstly we're going to be talking about earthquake earthquakes and uh, flooding which has happened this year yeah. and uh, specifically you're going to be talking about uh in a particular area of Afghanistan and how you know there has been earthquakes there as well and uh, what the you know what communities do do they come in together do they come together to try and help these people help the victims of these earthquakes these floodings these natural disasters as well and what should actually be done so that they can actually come back to their to you know to to to, to their old life mm. however like what measurements norm, can be taken what it? measurements can be taken absolutely and towards the latter part of the show we're going to be talking about um south london councils joined together to tackle domestic abuse mm. so that's something which we've seen um quite sadly after the the pandemic yeah we've uh, you know we've seen quite a lot of and i think it's due, it's due to the fact that a lot of the time uh families were at home and uh, the lack of work and everyone's working from home and that could play a big factor in the domestic abuse that's increased in the uk yeah i mean it, it is something that that has increased as as, yeah. as you said and we're going to be talking about uh we're going to be talking about that as well how different councils are coming together try and tackle this as well <coughs> as much as possible because it's very important that we do talk about this and and uh, you know those people who are victims of this sometimes it's difficult for them to actually come out of come out of this or speak about this as mm-hmm. well so to give them a platform to raise awareness and obviously look at ways to to actually you know uh, decrease this as much as possible that is what mm-hmm. the aim is uh, today it's a, it's an interactive show if you want to get in touch with us the number to call in as always is 0208-687-7878 you can also uh, tweet us at uh, voice of islam uk or I'm not sure what it's called now xus or whatever <laughs> on voice of islam uk um yesterday was uh, i mean the ongoing war which is happening yeah. um you know between palestine and uh, israel it's uh it's just become a humanitarian crisis now isn't it it has it has yeah. i num- mean with the number of casualties yeah. or number of victims yeah. and uh and you know just just yesterday we were just talking off air as well how how you know you know who else allegedly yeah. um israel they 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 what was it they they bombed a hospital in uh, in gaza yeah so basically the civilians who were taking shelter there because of the recent bombings that have been taking place from Israel in Palestine they were they were taking shelter there and that was the only safe place for them because they thought the hospitals the schools and the other <coughs> uh, other properties which are prohibited to be attacked during war um they were taking uh, a safe place there but what they did not know that they were not safe in those hospitals either as yeah. they were attacked now israel is claiming that uh, it was not them and it was the islamic jihad group that uh, um sent this bomb but uh, their tweets are telling a different story mm. as uh, i was reading that a spokesperson from um israel yeah. straight after the attack yeah. he tweeted that they had hit a hospital which claiming that hamas were hiding underneath the bunkers of yeah. a hospital 
Right, but then right. straight after they saw the casualties and how many people were killed, they um, removed that tweet. Mm. And now everyone is aware of that tweet. So yeah. they will be answerable. A lot of uh, of the um, justice uh, organizations will be out there to yeah. ask them I mean, what they've been doing. How, I mean... Th- if it wasn't them, who else was it? If they de- was if it, they're exactly. denying it, yeah. who else is is you know who else? Is, what, they were saying war with them. Yeah, they were saying that it was a miss um, hit from yeah. Hamas, which right. led to. So they, they they bombed their own yeah, people. Exactly. I mean, as in on. it was a miss hit. Yeah. As in, if if we see the videos and uh, what's out there on Twitter and X, whatever you call it now, yeah. um, it's really horrifying. If you have kids of your own. And you see that happening to kids yeah. around the world. Yeah, it really puts um, you into perspective what they're going through. Yeah, I mean, you can really feel their pain. Exactly, you can really the feel the screams and the horror. That yeah, literally. Yeah, of literally. kids. It's something that you. I mean, it's devastating exactly. to, to actually to, to actually hear about mm. this or see this as well. And just, uh, yeah. just talking about this as well, this is actually this is such a you know. Abuse of uh, of international law, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Even even it's a war crime as well. Yeah, it's a war crime. It's to a war cut crime. off food, to cut off water, to cut off electricity, yeah. essential needs. It's a war crime, and it's written in the international law. It's written in the international exactly. law, but who is there to who is there to hold them accountable? Yeah, that's the problem, that's isn't the it? But that's where all the countries, and that's where the, you, that's what the job of the UN is. Yeah. To hold these people accountable, we are committing these crimes. Yeah. Because uh, I remember when the Ukraine and the Russia conflict was happening. And uh, when Russia was supposedly um, taking these kind of steps, they did condemn them strictly. Mm. Yeah. They cut off a lot of things and uh, a lot of emphasis were put on them so they can stop these events. But now, when Israel is cutting water, food, electricity, Supplies, everything, yeah. they're not calling it a war crime. Yeah. They're just calling, they're not, defending. Not, yeah. Then, in Which fact, they're hypocrisy. saying some some leaders are saying that they have the right to to do that. Exactly. One soldier, I was I was listening to this interview. One soldier was asked um, who they are fighting, and they said we are fighting the civilians of hmm. Gaza as well. A soldier said this. Yeah. So so they have so, these yeah. orders and this, the atrocities that they are committing over there now. We yeah. can see in front of us. And it's funny that it's not really funny, but um, it's quite uh, hurtful that we are just witnessing everything on yeah. social media. We're in that kind of generation where. We see everything happening in front of us, yeah. But we are not able to do anything but about we, it. We can't yeah. do anything about it's it. It's helpless. It? Yeah, that's the thing. That's why you know the, the Holy Prophet of Islam, Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon so, him. He he said that if you see something, some injustice happening, yeah, something exactly. bad happening, in front of you, right, mm. then you should try your best to stop that physically. You know, yeah. if someone is having, uh, you know, a quarrel or someone is doing about to do something bad or whatever, mm. whatever it may be, if something. If you see danger try and stop it with your hand if you can't stop it with your hand then at least try and stop it with your with your tongue yeah go at to least authorities t- go to authorities yeah. you know raise the awareness yeah. tell the tell the people that they you know what's happening and try and stop it like that but mm. he said if you even can't do if you can't even do that mm. then at least you know you know think about that this yeah. was a bad thing and at least pray for pray the person for, yeah. and that's what majority well. of us are in this is the situation we're in yeah as in there are protests going on around the world yeah. And they are trying to raise awareness, which is a good thing. But on an individual but level... How much is that going to yeah, exactly. have an effect anyway, isn't it? And that's why it's so important to have just uh, leaders around the world. They need to see yeah. um, certain situations like this rise up and they need to go against it. That's what that's justice plays yeah, a part. That, 
justice i mean when you have justice and equality equity all of these things then doesn't matter if you have an alliance with you know with, with a party if someone someone is doing something wrong to another person mm. then you have to call out that exactly and you have to call that out exactly and we're, we're not saying we're not siding you know we're not siding with one party or the other yeah. what we're trying to say is that what's injustice is injustice if exactly. hamas is doing something which is wrong yeah. then we should con- condemn that yeah. if and we strongly do something strongly wrong do. we should condemn yeah. that as well because the attacks that hamas did we strongly condemn those because yeah. it's against the teachings of islam it's against humanity yeah but what um, israel is doing now yeah. we should condemn take, that yeah, as well exactly it's taken over <laughs> it was like 10% of what hamas did mm. that's that's the thing yeah. isn't it i mean they did one thing wrong which is yeah. fine mm. it was wrong mm. and we call that out but what about the, all the other th- wrong exactly. things that they are doing exactly the other party as well and 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 we know as the holy prophet of islam has clearly stated in war uh, which i don't really call it a war anymore because it's just one sided hamas i don't yeah. even, i don't think palestine palestine even have an army so uh, but even in war the holy prophet has said that no children yeah. no kids no no children no women no and no women. elderly should yeah. be harmed and those people who are not even involved involved in the exactly they're innocent civilians but what do we see here the complete opposite. only only the civilians and the elderly and the children yeah. are being harmed it's yeah. a, it said that around uh, more than a thousand kids children have died because of this wow. atrocity now yeah and uh, and it's ongoing as well it's ongoing it's not stopped well. and uh, straight after they do an attack they um, own up to it saying they're they're just defending themselves but they'd forget the fact that how many civilian casualties that Literally. they are causing what was the fault of those, yeah, those civilians exactly. isn't it exactly that's why you know that's you know that's that's the reason why we, we're talking about this as well mm-hmm. because where there is injustice we need to call that out exactly man. and that is so you know if we if we don't call that out then then who you know literally mm. who is yeah. because you know if the nations are divided and they have their own agendas yeah. right if they get backed by superpowers yeah. then obviously they're not going to have any fear isn't it and it's quite right what you just said as well when when the ukraine russia ukraine war was happening yeah. the conflict was happening then everyone was very quick all these nations yeah, were very exactly. quick to call exactly. out putin and russia even now they put sanctions on them they've still yeah. got sanctions even on them. now they, even now yeah, yeah. but what I'd, about what yeah. about now i don't think one country has come forward and strongly condemned them Yeah. I did hear the um, the leader of Turkey right. did say that um, an org- if you're going to act like an organization and not a state, then mm. you will be treated as an organization, and that was the strongest thing I've heard. Yeah. But it's the actions; they're not. It's, it's just statements, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, but uh, even now, even a statement is is, is something as well because, yeah, exactly. because there's no other there's no other exactly. countries that's actually backing them yeah. or supporting them uh, as well. So yeah. it is it is something, but you know. you know let's hopefully mm. you know the thing is is that hopefully we all the you know all the leaders the the world government yeah. they they come together and they they start doing things with justice mm. because let's face it, after the world wars the the league of nations was established exactly, exactly. and look at look, look at look at the state of that that yeah. that failed yeah. because they didn't fulfill their duties yeah. then <coughs> The United Nations yeah. was formed as so well. So they didn't fulfill the duties that World War II happened. Yeah. Then they didn't fulfill the duties and now the UN how, happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now we're seeing the state of the world right yeah. now. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole point of the mm-hmm. United Nations is yeah. so that there is justice. And peace, yeah. And, and, and there's peace, yeah. of, obviously. Yeah. And so that if some if a nation is doing something wrong, mm. you know, you, they condemn that. Yeah. And they no. say, you know, you know, you're not allowed to do that. But exactly. then you have these, pa- these superpowers which have veto power. Yeah. I mean, they can just say, "Oh, you want to do that? We, we don't want to do that. Yeah, we veto exactly. it." 
So exactly. where where's the justice in that? Exactly. It's a it's a flawed system. Yeah. So it's something which properly properly you know proper justice needs to yeah. needs to happen. And and we see in media as well. As in, there's no justice in that. We there's see, no justice in the we media. See, we see this report. It's just propaganda. That, yeah, yeah, exactly. We see reports coming out of uh, the 40 babies yeah. that were beheaded, and yeah, then yeah. later it was proven wrong. Yeah. And what was the point and of w- that? Yeah. Just and so when, they can, when it was proven wrong, yeah. there was no apology. Yeah. There was, there was nothing. No, nothing in the media nothing. that oh, we apologize, mm. we gave a false statement or what? Exactly. No. All of the front papers, mm. you know, the Guardian. Exactly. The, the they were Time, very quick. The, they were very quick. Yeah. To, to actually report this but then no one yeah. actually owned up to their yeah. mistake as well yeah that just shows you that they have an they have mm. an agenda exactly they have you know, you know. some kind of power behind it who's <laughs> could be yeah you know it's you never know you never know yeah. you think that's the thing isn't it you know you never know and about the thing is things. we need to be careful because Gaza I was reading that 50 percent of their population are kids 50 wow. percent a lot of kids there. yeah so anything that being struck on them or bomb that it's taking place over there, it's affecting children, innocent lives. Yeah, yeah, that's you know that that that's what it is. But hopefully, mm. you know, we pray that uh, you know the 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 conflict, the the war actually de-escalates, yeah. and uh, the situation gets much better. Mm. And uh, obviously, it is saying that President Biden is mm. going to um, Israel today. So hopefully, they could come up with a plan where there's peace and justice restored. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Hopefully, we can only we can. I mean, at, in this day, we can only hope and pray exactly. that the situation gets better. Mm. But uh, let, let's see, let's see what uh, what what happens as well. In uh, in in some other news, in some lighter news as well, um, England, uh, you know, the, the, what you call it, they they played yeah um uh, in the, for the you know qualifiers for the euros mm-hmm. they beat italy 3-1 i mean they were losing 1-0 oh is it and uh, they came back uh who, 3-1 who were the goal scorers the, i didn't actually see i didn't actually see the match mm-hmm. so i'm not uh, i'm not too sure um but uh but they're looking think, good for the he, euros 2024 yeah they're looking in, in good shape they're looking in, they're, yeah <coughs> they are looking in good shape yeah. and they are looking to actually uh, do well as well. I yeah. mean, last yeah. last chi- last time, last Euros, yeah. they uh, <laughs> got to the final. They got to the final, and it was really um, it was heartbreaking, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it it was heartbreaking. It was it, heartbreaking. It went to the penalties, if I'm wrong. It, it did. It did go to the penalties, <laughs> and it was against Italy that you just mentioned. They just played. It was against <laughs> Italy, and yeah. uh, it, it, I mean, the match the match was good. Yeah, it was. And uh, but it was it's unfortunate that we couldn't. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate that yeah, we, we couldn't win couldn't it. Win. Yeah. But that, still, hopefully this year. Hopefully, hopefully this year. Got a young team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Likes of Jude Bellingham, and they're doing well in Europe as well. So, hopefully. So, so Kane, Kane scored a penalty, and he scored another goal as well. He scored two goals, mm-hmm. and uh, Marcus Rashford scored uh, scored a goal as well. That's good. So that's uh, you know the strikers are coming. The strikers are yeah. coming. They're pulling their weight as well. Yeah, I mean. Harry Kane is actually quite used to scoring as well because in the Bundesliga yeah, he's yeah. scoring quite a lot yeah. of goals. No, he's he's not a top goal scorer. Yeah, yeah someone oh, else. It? Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, someone else. I forgot his name. Uh, someone else is a top goal scorer in the yeah. Bundesliga, but he is still. You know, but he is a very, very great goal scorer. Poacher, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> the thing is, like, even in Tottenham with the <laughs> with the reputation that they have, yeah, and he was pulling up really high figures at that time yeah. as well. So you just know what the, what he's going to do with Bayern, right? Yeah, I mean Bayern. I mean. 
it's a farmers league anyway, yeah. and they and win every every. They yeah. literally win every single. I think it's been ten years in a row. Or something. Yeah, there's no there's no real competition. Exactly, it's like the French league as well, isn't it? Exactly, there's no real. There's only PSG, and then in in German league, it's only Bayern. Yeah, there, there might be a few teams here and there which yeah. which can sort of maybe give them a, yeah. just a tough time, but at the end of the day, whatever it is, they end up winning. They end up winning, but still, but still, um, one talent. Um, uh, Jude Bellingham, yeah, yeah, he's a young player, yeah. Real Madrid player, and uh, you must be a big fan of him now, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. He's I mean, I was a, a fan of him since he was in Dortmund. He was in Dortmund. Yeah, yeah. You know, they actually retired a shirt of his in Birmingham City. Yeah, he was, yeah, yeah, he was yeah, sixteen yeah, yeah. years old. Was, yeah, and the thing is, everyone was laughing at them that why would you retire sixteen oh, year old? Retire 16 and now they're seeing the effect he, he's having. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> if he stayed there. <laughs> That's a, exactly. it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. It's crazy. But Big talent. yeah, I mean, uh, international break is actually going to finish as well, and then uh, this weekend hmm. uh, it will start. Uh, Premier League will start. Yeah, the league yeah. matches will start again. Arsenal, Ars- Arsenal, Arsenal, and uh, Tottenham. Arsenal. Yeah, Tottenham at the top, yeah. and Arsenal as well. Are second, I mean, they've got the same same points. Same yeah. points, and uh, you know the goal difference is the same as no, well. No, no, I think everything is the same. But the they the thing is that they. Overall, have scored more goals. Maybe, maybe I think yeah. it's something like that. Yeah. I think that's what's dividing yeah. it right now. Uh. Because obviously, if everything was the same, then yeah. Arsenal would be at the top. Yeah. Because true, because a. of a. A. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, but City has not have a, had a good start of the season. City has but had you a know bit the, of an up and down. But the thing about them is that they're too they're, they're machine, isn't yeah. it? And the thing is, their squad depth is a lot. Yeah. So they can just turn up in the they middle of the league. Up. And they can turn up. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the yeah. thing. Um, but yeah, let's see. Let's see how it. Let's see how it goes. Yeah. Um, because uh, the the Champions League is coming back as well. Yeah, uh, I believe it's next next week. Yeah, and Tuesday ne- next next week. Yeah, Tuesday Wednesday is yeah. coming back. So that's going to be quite interesting as well. It's always good to, you know, see yeah. the, the league and then and especially for the Arsenal European like, matches in the Champions League now. So. Arsenal did a, a, absolutely absolutely wonderful uh, in, the, in their first match. In the first match, in the first yeah. Second match, match they lost. Second match they they lost. Yeah. Um, uh, did they? Could do? be a draw. It could be a draw. I'm not sure actually. I'm not sure about that. I think uh, I thought sure. this was the second match. Is the third match coming up now? I thought this was the ma- I thought this was match day two. Oh, is but, it? But uh, you know, the, but but still, let's see. Let's see. Yeah, but it's exciting that the Champions League is back. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. Hopefully, it's let's a good see. Thing. Um, with what's going on around the world, it's something to um, look forward to. It's something to to look forward to. Absolutely, yeah. uh, and. Uh, <coughs> It, it is match day three. Yeah, it is match day three. So it is Arsenal and uh, Arsenal Sevilla. Yeah, that's going to be a match. So let's um, let's uh, because Sevilla they they, they used to win the uh, the Europa. Europa, isn't it? Every year they win it. I think they Every won it last year. year. <laughs> yeah, so but now they're in the Champions yeah. League. But so that's 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 a good thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Some people say they lose Champions League on purpose so they can go to Europa and win it. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's quite interesting. Yeah. But um. Let's see, you know, um, how how the sports comes into comes into play as yeah. well because uh, it's, it is quite it is quite interesting. You you are right. They, they did win, and then they lost their they lost their second match yeah, as well. Yeah. So they've got they've got three points. Mm. Um, that is uh, you know that's the that's the news and that's the that's what's happening in the in sport. Um, we're going to be taking a short break, and then right after that we will we will come back. And then we'll go into our first segment. We've got a f- we've got quite a few. We've got a busy, uh, you know, a busy lineup. We've got quite a few callers, uh, guests that we're going to be speaking to. 
and uh, we'll be, you know, we'll take this after a very short break. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi salam. Illness means the condition when the body does not function normally, and health is the condition when all natural matters function in their proper way. The moving away of a hand or foot or any other limb from its proper position causes pain, and if this condition persists for a time, not only the affected limb becomes useless, but it begins to affect other limbs also. The same is the case with the soul. When a person moves away from God, who is the true source of his life, and departs from the religion of nature, he is involved in suffering, and if his heart is not dead and retains its feeling, he feels the torment keenly. If this condition is not reformed, there is an apprehension that all spiritual faculties might gradually become useless and a severe torment might ensue. Thus no suffering comes from outside. All suffering is generated within a person. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show here on The Voice of Islam Radio. Um, an earthquake recently occurred in Afghanistan um, and, and there were many unfortunate natural disasters happening you know uh, this just this just this year yeah and uh, what we're talking about is how we can or what we can do to to help those people who are in need as well as mentioned before before the break we've got quite a few guests that we're going to we're going to be speaking to as well we've got our first guest who's on the line with us professor richard walker who's a professor of uh, active uh, tectonics at the department of earth sciences university of uh, of oxford with over 20 years he has studied earthquakes with emphasis on the mountain, uh, mountainous regions from Iran to China. Very interesting. Um, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to the show, Professor. Okay, good morning. And it's a, it's a pleasure to be here and talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, just to begin with, for, for our listeners out there, could you please share why earthquakes have been happening uh, so so frequently in Afghanistan? Yeah, so, so I mean, it, it, it's actually quite quite unusual it's not you know unheard of for for so many earthquakes to occur in in such a short period of time um there's been four um earthquakes of a magnitude 6.2 6.3 um the first two on on the october the 7th the third on the october the 10th and then then a third uh, a fourth on october mm. the 15th um what happens in in each of earthquake is, is is you have failure a break on a on a weakness and under the under the earth's surface yeah and um you have slip on that on, on that failure lots of kind of um slowly accumulated stresses you know it's like stretching a rubber band and you kind of keep on stretching and stretching and stretching until it snaps and and, and this is what happens in the earth the earth is stretching and stretching and stretching until it eventually breaks and it breaks along one of these planes of weaknesses of fault and um what happens is around that area the rocks are still stressed right it you know it, it actually kind of creates sometimes more probability of, of, of failure in surrounding areas what we're seeing in afghanistan there is probably um the fact that there's you know, a number of the fault planes all close to each other, um, and one earthquake on one has then created conditions that are more failure, 
uh, favourable for for failure on the next one, and then that one has done the same to to to, to the one afterwards. Okay, so it's mm. it's yeah. it's pointing us towards the fact that the, the faults around Herat to the north of Herat probably quite quite complicated in their structure, right? So it's not just one big fault plane; it's a number of them, and they've they've kind of gone off in this cascade. So recently, as you mentioned, you know there there has been quite a few natural disasters, especially earthquakes as well. But just talking about other sort of natural disasters, also you know including that into this as well. Um, the what's the? I mean, I know you just spoke about this as well, but why is this? Why is this sort of uh, happening? You know, so so frequently as well. And uh, sure. is is anything that has recently changed which? maybe have contributed to, to, to this happening even more. Yeah, sure, sure. So, so treating the earthquakes to start off with, I mean, we, we've seen this year uh, a number of, of, of really horrible disasters. Uh, we started the year uh, with uh, Turkey in um, February uh, with a really um, huge earthquake that occurred in, in eastern Turkey, or a pair of earthquakes in, in, in that case. It was another, you know, one big earthquake followed by another uh, big earthquake a few hours later. Yeah. We've seen more recently the earthquake in Morocco, which caused a lot of devastation in the areas south of Marrakesh, and, and now the ones in Afghanistan. So, I mean, it's not so much actually that the earthquakes are happening more regularly, right, as such. You know, the, the earthquakes are always happening at a at a you know, constant rate every year on average there's something like a you know a million magnitude two earthquakes they're never reported because you know they're so small you don't feel them magnitude six earthquakes is there's typically about 200 a year right every year and most of those we don't ever hear about they don't get into the news because they happen in the oceans or in some other area where where they don't impact on on humans um what we've seen this year is that we unfortunately have, have had a, a number of, of, of those earthquakes that have, have, have hit close to uh, densely populated regions, right? And so, yeah. you know, it, it, it's more, you know, of the small number of earthquakes that have occurred uh, that, that, that actually have, have been close to where people live. And, and that kind of feeds into, you know, why is it happening? I mean, one, one thing is that, you know, we, we are living probably in increasingly vulnerable ways, right? We, we, there's more and more people, more and more clustered into, into certain urban areas. And, and, and so, you know, as we go through time, earthquakes more commonly become disastrous, right? Yeah. Um, in terms of what we can do to help, it's important that, that we, we put in time and effort before earthquakes strike to make sure that, you know, people have the understanding of what to do if there's an earthquake, to understand that buildings, it's really, really important to make sure those buildings are built properly and strongly and all of these things, right? So a lot of the work that can be done to to help is actually prior, right? Mm. So, you know, we can prepare and preparation is a really important part of it. Um, I think, um, yeah, I mean, so so that's it. I, the, I mean, there's obviously a lot of other natural disasters occurring as well, climatic um, uh, disasters, floods, droughts. You know, Afghanistan has been hit by multiple years of drought, for instance. Mm. Um, they're unconnected, right? One is climatic system, one is, 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 you know, the solid earth. And yet they feed into each other, right? Mm. So, you know, they, they create even more vulnerability for the people in Afghanistan who've lost their homes. They are in a situation where... 
already the climate is not, you know, they, they, they've been hit through, through, through pre-existing uh, states of disaster as well. And so these things feed into each other and they increase the, the vulnerabilities of people. Yeah, yeah, and especially, Professor, you mentioned that uh, <clears throat> they have been hit in densely populated areas. Does uh, the region, as in a mountainous region or a flat land, have a part to play in the earthquakes happening? Yeah, it does, actually. There's probably no accident that Herat is exactly where it is um, and that it is close to a, to a zone of earthquake um, risk. We see this in, in, in many places uh, many places across the world um, across southern Europe across um, Central Asia um, the Americas you know almost anywhere where there is earthquake risk um, people tend to live along the zones of earthquake risk and there is a reason behind this because um, earthquakes occur on faults fault movements gradually produce mountains so they separate mountains from basins um, and they also channel water. Often you get lines of springs or elevated water tables that you can you can tap for water for irrigation and to, to sustain life. And so you have this situation that if you go out into the basin south of Herat, it's not really suitable for human life. It's a desert, right? Yeah. If you move north of Herat into the mountains, okay, you can sustain life, but in small rural communities, typically the large settlements, those that you know, have been important for for trade and for uh, industry, all of the reasons why people might congregate in a certain area, tend to be along the edges of the mountains, and these are the areas where you do have the active faults. They're great places to live on a year-by-year basis. They have everything you need, right? There's farmland to the south of you, mm. there's sources of water, all yeah. of these things. And yet every so often, very occasionally, Right. It could be hundreds of years, sometimes it could be thousands of years, an earthquake will occur. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> you've done various research projects on earthquakes, and there's one titled uh, Simultaneous Orthogonal Shortening in the Afghan-Tajik Depression. Could you uh, provide an overview to our listeners on what your research has found so far? Yeah, sure, sure. So so actually that, that paper, what we're, what we're interested in doing there is is using the landscape, right? Um, I think already my question, my answers have got across that, that when earthquakes have occurred, mo- movements on faults, they, they gradually alter the landscape and they do so over long periods of time. And so if you find, if you look at the right kind of scale, and what we often do is we use satellite images, right? So a lot of the work we do is, 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 is viewing the earth down from space to get a very broad view across uh, large parts of the landscape. You can actually see evidence for active faulting, and you can build patterns of how these faults are uh, are working and how they are accommodating um, what we call tectonic motions, kind of you know uh, motions of, of one part of the Earth relative to another. Uh, that particular paper there, we're, we're actually interested in how the the Pamir Plateau is working, right? So the Pamir Plateau is a big high elevation area off to the um, um, North uh, northeast of Afghanistan, Tajikistan, mm. China, and, and we're interested in in what the faults can tell us about how that system is working. Um, I think you know one 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 take home from the type of work that we do is is you know the emphasis on the on the on the satellite imagery. You have to be able to look at large scale, and also one thing that you know geologists are quite you know 
although we can't predict earthquakes, we can't say when they will occur or whatever, we're, we're getting better at identifying where zones of earthquake risk lie, you know, looking at the mm. landscape and identifying where, where the faults might be. Mm. Um, and um, this is work that we've kind of been doing over many years, and it's work that we continue to do um, and, um, and, and will continue to do in, in future years. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Professor Richard, thank you so much for, for joining us uh, this morning and speaking to us, telling us a little bit more about this, uh, you know, about the earthquakes. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure. That was, uh, that was Professor Richard Walker, who's a professor of active tectonic, uh, tectonics at the Department of Earth Sciences at the University of Oxford. And you know, very interesting listening. Yeah, very you know, valuable listening to information him. he gave us. So the the thing is, is that uh, th- there has been so many different earthquakes um, happening. You know, Afghanistan mm. is one of the countries which you know is it has been affected yeah. by by climate change, and has led um, you know the, the the reason for for that is because you know they they have been or or the outcome of that actually is that they have been faced. With a lot of different natural disasters, yeah. one of them being, you know, okay. earthquakes and so drought. Drought also. Drought also. He mentioned. He mentioned yeah. drought also for for a number of years. Yeah, for a number of years. So you know, <coughs> the effects of glo- the effects of climate change is yes, it affects all of us because yeah. you know if it affects one particular country, um, that affects other countries yeah. which are neighboring countries, and then obviously that would affect that would affect us as well. Yeah. So it's, it's it's these things that we need to actually look into as well. But it's um, with the you know with the with, without further ado, let's uh, speak to our next guest who's who's on the line with us, Mr. Farid Humayo, who is a medical doctor with an MD degree, and he has joined the Halo Trust in 1988, and has been running Halo Afghanistan as the program manager since 1995. So we're going to speak to him about uh, about this his organisation. As well, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks for uh, you know. Thanks for having me this morning. Uh, pleasure, pleasure to have you to speak to you this morning as well. Um, for the benefit of our listeners, could you share with us uh, what your organisation actually does, its aims, its purpose uh, as well? Thank you very much. So the Halo Trust is the largest uh, humanitarian mine action charity in the world and Halo Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, we started first in 1988, and currently we conduct a humanitarian clearance of landmines, improvised explosive devices, and uh, any remnants, explosive remnants of war. Uh, we are operational across the country uh, with 2,400 staff, uh, you know, working uh, day and night, basically helping the Afghan people. Mm-hmm. Now, helping these Afghan people that you're talking about, so can you sh- can you share with us um, wh- how it sort of help helps people who are in Afghanistan as well, and what your organisation does to actually go out there and help people from from uh, you know uh, on the ground level. Um, so you are asking about the needs of the people. Sorry if we can clarify a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's exactly you know the needs of the people, yeah. and uh, sh- you know share what kind of help. That, that is yes. actually needed there, and what you do to actually help them as well. Sure. Uh, well, as, as you're probably aware, the head of trust stands for, you know, Hazardous Areas Life Support Organization, that's H-A-L-O. And we are providing, as, as we said, our expertise is humanitarian mind clearance, but in addition to that, 
we are providing like uh, disaster relief uh, because we are in many places uh, we are the first responders because we have like a very heavy presence across the country nearly at the, the front line you 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 are probably aware that Afghanistan has been you know in conflict for the last 40 years and millions of Afghans uh, you know like fled the country living in neighboring Iran and Pakistan and so it's really like a humanitarian crisis maybe forgotten now for the moment because of the crisis elsewhere so we have the largest number of internally displaced people winter is coming in addition to that these uh, you know flash floods earthquakes landslides afghanistan unfortunately ranked fourth among the you know in the worldwide in terms of uh, being exposed to natural disasters uh, so generally speaking i can say that we are facing two tri- two, two two challenges in afghanistan we as the Halo Trust and uh, the Mine Action Program in general. The first one is, as we, we call it, the man-made disaster, which is basically inflected by, by people, like because of it's a, it's a legacy of war, mines, improvised explosive devices, and you count it. The second one is natural disasters. So it's like, unfortunately, it makes like a vicious cycle, and people are, the minute they are recovering from one, one, one crisis, another crisis is happening. And, and actually it's affecting the Afghan people in a very bad way. Hmm. Um, and you mentioned that um, during the COVID pandemic, um, what was the biggest need of the people at that time during COVID? And how did you tackle that uh, situation? Because as I you think know, the, the most virus... important one was education, basically. People were, you know, in our part of the world, people don't believe and they, people do not have access to a lot of media. The only access they have is like radios, and so people were listening to Dari and Pashto services of the BBC and, uh, and uh, Radio Azadi and, and others. And uh, so it was the most important one, educating the people about the scale of the problem, that this is, not, this is something very, very serious. So that was what we were doing, the kind of using our explosive ordinance risk education teams, which is like mixed gender mahram teams, men and women as, as mahram. They we were like sending teams to the countryside, to the villages, providing education and the most the other thing of course we provided like um, you know what people needed um, in terms of personal protective equipment for hand washing and masks and so mm-hmm. on but more importantly we provided logistical support to other organizations in order to carry their staff to the remote parts of the country yeah. um, and if you can please let us know what we can do to support each other and help Afghanistan out in this regard for our listeners, please? Well, I think the most important one is just like raising the awareness of uh, people listening to, to your media about the situation in Afghanistan. Afghanistan is actually, you know, although it's, there's no fighting, but no fighting doesn't mean that there is peace. And people are actually are in desperate need. We have the highest uh, food insecurity in the world, uh, um, maybe uh, a quarter of our population, they are suffering from acute food shortages. Uh, winter is coming and uh, people need like basic needs like tents, blankets, uh, stoves. Uh, you know, Afghanistan has got a very harsh winter, you know, drinking water, you know, whatever people can do basically to help the, uh, the, 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 this situation, um, you know, it, it will be appreciated. So through you and other and other colleagues. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. As you mentioned, that 
Afghanistan is actually a pro, is prone to a lot of natural disasters, and uh, they they uh, you know a lot of the a lot of the population, a lot of the people over there are living in poverty, and they have a, they have a hunger crisis as well, um, and also you know you mentioned winter is coming as well, so it's, you know they live in poverty, they have um, not they don't have access to you know to 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 the to uh, to, to the food that we have. Or you know, uh, food which is actually properly edible, as well. A lot of the children might actually yeah. be mal- malnourished, so there is a hunger crisis as well. So there's a lot of different things, and is there anything that I know we just spoke about, or you just answered how what we can actually do, but on a on a on a on a wider scale, um, you know, as an individual scale, you know, just spoke about that as well. But on a wider scale, on a government scale, or on a, a world scale as well, is there anything which is being done? To help uh, those people who are in need because of these natural disasters, yeah. because of um, hunger crisis as well. Yeah. Well, I think that um, basically um, what what you can do is to help help the Halo Trust, so we can actually provide this, uh, the services to the people, whether it's uh, uh, humanitarian mine action. As you know, we are heavily involved in this uh, disaster risk reduction efforts and. Herat province that over 2,500 people lost their lives early this month. And so we are providing food packages, which has got 21 items. But, you know, but to only to 200 families, you know, they are like, uh, according to Afghanistan National Disaster Management Authority, over 113,000 people were displaced because of the recent earthquake. So mm-hmm. I think this yeah. in the sort of overall scheme of things, you can raise awareness about this. But more specifically, perhaps you can provide, uh, and, you, and people can actually donate to Halo and other humanitarian organizations just to provide this, uh, assistance to the uh, earthquake-affected uh, people in Herat province, which is ongoing at the moment. Hmm. And you know, you mentioned <coughs> there's a hunger crisis and a um, food crisis and kids are malnourished. Why, why would you say that is so? As in, is it a political um, reason? Is there uh, any other sort of reason? Well, I think that because of the of the war, because of the conflict, 40 years of, of ongoing conflict it actually destroyed the infrastructure in Afghanistan. Afghanistan has got, you know, two-thirds of Afghanistan. It's like it's a very mountainous country, as you know. And the plains that are, like, irrigated, um, they are affected by landmines. People have actually lost their livelihoods. They were displaced. Generally, the resilience of communities is very, very low. Mm. So I think that basically that the mother of all problems in Afghanistan is actually uh, conflict. And uh, of course, people are, are they now started to cultivate the land and, and come back. So I think that that's, that's the, 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 main, the main reason. I think Afghanistan can, can, rise, can rise again and, and stand on, on its own two feet. But, uh, but, but I think it needs time. Um, and in order to achieve that, I think the people of Afghanistan need help for now. But the bottom, uh, uh, the bottom line, the, the main cause of the current problem is conflict, poverty, mm-hmm. and, and actually, you know, displacement of people. Yeah. You know, one one thing. Sorry, one thing I just wanted to ask as well. When you, when you talk about displacement of uh, of people, you mentioned that there's so many hundreds and thousands of people who have who, who lost their homes and they they need to go to other countries, neighboring countries as well. Such as you know Pakistan or maybe Iran or maybe other countries as well. But how important is it is it for you know the neighboring countries for other countries as well to actually welcome them as well? Because 
it's you know if they can't live in their own country because of whatever the reason may be they might not be safe they might not get uh, nourishment they might not get the food they might be living in poverty there might be a lot of different things educational needs as well but for other countries to actually accept them and give them a you give them shelter give them home provide them with the food and education as well how important is that just for you know for the benefit of our yeah. listeners i think we need to be pragmatic and realistic about this these neighboring countries they also have their own problems and they also struggle and they also like they are affected by you know let's say disasters economic crises and so on and so forth as you know right now the neighboring countries are expelling afghan refugees back to afghanistan i think the best thing we can do is to provide good living condition for the afghans inside their country because i think that you know by just people fleeing the country and going to neighboring problem countries mm. i don't think that this is a solution afghanistan is a, can be a very prosperous country we've got five mm. big rivers you know we've got very fertile plains you know we can uh, you know as i said earlier we just need to, to help the afghan not you know how to basically make their own food you know mm. how can we help them to have proper agriculture right. um and so i i would suggest that of course uh, the neighboring countries they are they've been very welcoming but i think the trend is now changing and they are saying okay enough is enough you know we cannot host 5 million refugees go back to your own country mm-hmm. so i think we need to help uh, the, uh, the the afghan uh, authorities the afghan people to uh, to basically make their their lives inside afghanistan right right Yeah I mean make them stand up on their own feet as well um exactly. very much yeah. Mr Freed uh, thank you so much uh, for for joining us and enlightening us about you know the the the, the situation over there in Afghanistan particularly and uh, different things that you know are are being done to to help those people the afghan people as well thank you so much for for speaking to us my pleasure thank you very much thank for you. having me this morning thank you So that was Mr. Farid Humayo who is a medical doctor with an MD degree and he has joined the Halo Trust in 1988 and he's been running the Halo Afghanistan as a, as a program manager since uh, since a long mm. time as well since 95 and, and a lot of different things It's really interesting that I said the main reason for all the disaster that's happening in Afghanistan the the food crisis hunger crisis kids malnourished and yeah, yeah. is the conflict the conflict yeah. isn't it yeah And the thing is that wherever we look there's a, there's conflict happening. There's conflict happening. Yeah. I mean right now because you know it's flaring up and it's a lot in the news yeah. the the Middle Eastern conflict which mm. is happening for the uh, Palestine and uh, and uh, and Israel mm. but no one's talking about oh. Russia and Ukraine anymore. Exactly. Or no one's talking not you know not that mm. much about mm. Afghanistan anymore. I mean what about you know the tensions in the in the in, in the in the uh, South South China Sea? Yeah. There's tensions there as yeah. well, Taiwan and China, obviously just, Hong I, Kong. I feel whatever um benefits yeah, whatever sells. Yeah, whatever benefits and sells the current um organizations that's what propagates around the world, isn't it? The I mean, propaganda. That's what, yeah, that's what that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. It, even though that they, there's conflict ha- happening here and there. Yeah. Um, you know, they were hearing less on the news. They were hearing less on the news as well. I mean, because of climate change, yeah. right? Climate change has a huge part to play in this as well. That we spoke about this last time. That there's a lot of floods that happen yeah, exactly. because there's man-made floods as mm-hmm. well, 
but also just natural disaster mm. floods as well, something that you just literally can't control. Mm. Because Libya, of Libya, because of, we see yeah. thousands of people died at that time. <coughs> Afghanistan <coughs> as well. Uh, Afghanistan yeah. is actually prone to a lot of different, uh, a lot of different uh, natural, um, natural disasters as well. And um, we'll talk a little bit more about this uh, after the news uh, because we want to speak to some some other guests and get their insight in regards to this as well. So don't go anywhere. And we'll be back after the news and continue this for a little bit longer. Al Muhaymin. The protector, the one who guards all from danger. He sends down the angels with revelation by his command on whomsoever of his servants he pleases, saying, Warn people that there is no God but I, so take me alone for your protector. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Um, as we, as before the break, we we, we said that we're going to be continuing this uh, topic for a little bit longer. There's another, there's quite a few other guests that we want to speak to as well, and uh, we will speak to our next guest without further ado, Mr. Muhammad Iqbal, who is who leads pro, who leads program development and uh, quality assurance globally for Muslim aid, and uh, he is is an Af- Afghan national and has worked. Most of his career in Afghanistan, Afghanistan as well. So he will tell us a little bit more, uh, with some more detail in regards to uh, the situation over there, and uh, how or what is what is being done to help those people as well. Mr. Mohammed Iqbal, thank you so much for joining us. Peace be upon you. Welcome to the show. Assalamualaikum. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. For our listeners out there, could you could you uh, please share the, the purpose, the aims of and objectives of your of your of your of your organization, please. Definitely, thank you. Muslim Aid is a, is a faith-based charity based out of Whitechapel, London, and it's been serving communities globally since 1985. Currently, we're working in about 17 countries, but have served in over 70 countries throughout our, our work and throughout our history. We provide relief and development in a range of sectors, including emergency response, livelihood, education, health, and housing. And we apply our, our faith-based aims and values in order to achieve a just and sustainable future for the people we serve. So we work together with communities and people and partners to respond to crises and increase their resilience and self-sufficiency. So they're not just responding to the current crisis, but they're ready to, to deal with and have the capacity to survive and recover from future crises. Now, could you, could you share with our listeners you know, what has actually occurred in Afghanistan particularly? and what your organization is actually doing as well? Well, in between the 7th and 15th of October, Western Afghanistan, namely Herat province, was hit with three earthquakes of uh, 6.3 magnitude. And there were a multitude of aftershocks as well. So this resulted in a wide-scale destruction across 300 villages. So entire villages were razed and destroyed and over 1.6 million people were affected, with about 110,000 people in urgent need of humanitarian support. And there were reports of about two to 3,000 people that were killed as well. So it, this destruction led to uh, homes, hospitals, schools, water resources to be destroyed. And people are now living in the open. They're living in makeshift shelters. They're living in informal settlements, leaving them open to hazards of, you know, 
you know, the weather, health hazards, protection hazards. And I just wanted to sort of put that into perspective, right? Uh, imagine you're in your home having your breakfast or resting in your bed and the earth shakes so violently that it destroys your house. Mm-hmm. You lose everything you owned. You lose, uh, you, lo- you lose family members as well. Sometimes some of them, for some instance, all of their family members. And then every few days, the earth shakes violently in the same way again, bringing that trauma back. I've actually seen videos of people sleeping on the street even when their homes have not been destroyed because they're so mm-hmm. scared of going back into their homes, which mm-hmm. is quite heartbreaking and, and, and devastating to watch. Mm. Yes, it's quite uh, horrifying to even listen to what you're describing. And we can see that happening all around the world um, nowadays if, or because of these natural disasters. But why do you think, uh, especially Afghanistan, is um, accustomed to these natural disasters in particular? Well, there are a range of reasons. I think earthquakes have always been part of parcel of the the nature of Afghanistan because we lie at a fault line. So that has been something that has happened consistently. The but there are other natural disasters like floods, droughts that keep happening and keep getting worse. Mm. The main problem is that Afghanistan, unfortunately, has been sort of on a rapid decline beyond these natural disasters which is making everything worse right the mm. the end of the, the we've had 20 uh, two three decades of war which has been followed by this rapid economic decline mm. uh, pe- about uh, from of the 40 million people right now there are about 29 million people that are in significant humanitarian need imagine that risk mm. of hunger risk of malnutrition inflation is causing uh, issues there are commodity shocks um, Rural urban poverty is at all-time high. Mm. And in addition to that, these right now the Herat earthquakes happened right before the winter season, which is the lean season. So people already don't have resources at this time. They don't have enough food at this time. And then on top of that, imagine just constantly being bombarded by earthquakes. It's just it's, it's quite devastating. Mm-hmm. And is the food hunger, the hunger crisis that's going on in Afghanistan, is that due to mainly the conflict? The, there are a range of factors. Um, the, the change in climate has impacted that significantly, and the long-term conflict uh, continuously destroyed the agricultural sectors, the manufacturing sectors, and then with a the change in the government, the economy has slid down significantly, and a lot of the progress that was made got reversed. So. It, there's a lot of work to be done to get Afghanistan back on, on some semblance of being on its feet again. Um, so there are a range of factors that are impacting that. Hmm. Um, and how <coughs> sorry. And how can people and your charity and other charities work closely together to help in this good cause? Um, that's a very important question. Like charities like Muslim Aid have been the, the thing is, we've been dealing with quite a number of large-scale responses over the last few months with Morocco, Libya, Palestine, Afghanistan, everything happening around the same time. Understandably, the focus right now is on you know some of the other crises, but we can't forget, forget about the long-term crises like Afghanistan that mm. don't get the same kind of attention. So because we can't get the same kind of attention, we struggle to raise the funds that are needed. Um, I was just reading the UNOCHA... Uh, humanitarian needs overview, and it's going to take about $100 million to get the recovery process done. Now, all of that money doesn't come from individual donors. Mm. It comes from governments and other sources. But the British charities and the individuals that give money play a big role in filling these gaps. Mm. So 
two things charities need to do. They need to work together to raise attention for these uh, issues that are they don't have get the focus. And then the other thing they need to do is they need to work a lot closer at the field level so that resources then don't get wasted and don't get duplicated. And I can only express my gratitude to your team to give me the time to raise attention on this issue because obviously as an Afghan, it's it's close to my heart. Mm-hmm. I know people in that region. I know the, how their lives have been impacted. So mm-hmm. I appreciate what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. In terms of what people can do, yeah. um, I think they're, the way I would sort of structure this is the first thing, if you can do it, would be give some money if you can. That's the simplest way to help if mm-hmm. you can. Ideally, I'd like you to give to Muslim Aid um, at our website, but if not, give to whatever charity you're comfortable giving to. Mm-hmm. But give to these crises that don't get the attention, please. If you can't give money, I would give some time. All charities have mechanisms, including Muslim Aid, of becoming volunteers. You go to our website, mm-hmm. you'll find ways of volunteering, giving your time. If you can't give time, give attention. Mm-hmm. Speak to your uh, mosques, speak to your communities, speak to your families, make sure everyone knows that this is happening and it's not going away. And that as an ummah, we have to come together and provide the necessary support for people so that we can work towards a long-term solution in these areas. And I know sometimes some people may not have the time and resources to even give attention, but what we can do at the very least is give our prayers which mm. uh, and pray for God to support the people of Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, and you, you mentioned on a volunteer level, <clears throat> what kind of activities would the volunteer be helping out in if they do choose to come and help? At a lot of our volunteers, uh, we we bring them in for our fundraising and outreach activities. We do quite a bit of outreach, community outreach activities, which play a very important role in highlighting these issues. So, And we do like to mobilize uh, volunteers from those communities. And, and they, they will participate in the events, they will participate in fundraising drives. At, there's a lot of work to be done at the UK level. And in some instances, volunteers do help out in our programs internationally as well, depending on their capacity and depending on the scope of what they can do. Yeah, yeah so it was really nice. Thank you f- uh, for joining us today, Mr. Muhammad Iqbal. Um, really valuable information you provided and anyone out there who can help um, like you mentioned um, they should take that step thank you very much for joining us thank you very much so that, that was uh, Muhammad Iqbal from uh, Muslim Aid as well uh, who leads program development and uh, quality assurance glo- globally for Muslim Aid um, very interesting listening to, to him there's a, there's a brief, off, a brief uh, audio clip that we want to play for, for you guys as well um uh let's listen let's listen to that it was from the address of his holiness the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community as Mr. Masoor Ahmad may Allah be his helper and uh, let's listen let's listen to that as well Muslims are instructed to feed the hungry to show empathy and love to orphans and to help anyone in need especially those mired in poverty and or, uh, or who are defenseless and weak. Muslims are taught to be the ones who comfort and love those people who have been failed by society and to carry the weight of their burdens on their own shoulders. Muslims are duty-bound to help underprivileged people so that they can stand upon their own two feet and live with dignity and the 
and be freed from their desperate circumstances. In return, the Quran states Muslims will be rewarded with increased spirituality, which in turn will take them towards God Almighty and make them recipient of his prayer. Similarly, in chapter 2, verse 196, the Holy Quran states that if a person wishes to save himself from humiliation, degradation, and ruin, he must be kind, generous, and do good to others without expectation of anything in return. <clears throat> chapter 4, verse 37 of the Holy Quran states that Muslims should care for their neighbors and reiterate that, that it is the, the, the duty of a true Muslim to fulfill the rights of the needy and orphans. It instructs Muslims to be benevolent and to treat anyone under their supervision with love, patience, and affection. For example, if a Muslim <coughs> has a subordinate at work, they should treat him with kindness and generosity. Furthermore, in chapter 47, verse 39, the Holy Quran, of, of the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty instructs Muslims to spend their wealth for the sake of helping others. Those who are unwilling to do so have been declared as niggardly, and Quran states that such miserly ways are not liked by Allah and are a means of darkening a person's soul. <clears throat> All these verses I have quoted emphasize the fact that if <clears throat> Muslims desire to attain the love of Allah, the Almighty, they must first show love to creation of God. Assalamu alaikum rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. We're continuing this topic for a little bit longer um, because we want to speak to uh, an, another guest that we have on the line with us, Professor David Rothery, who is uh, a professor of uh, planetary uh, geosciences at the Open University, Milton Keynes. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome to the show, Professor. Uh, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. We're talking about natural disasters, especially earthquakes and uh, the region of Afghanistan in particular. Why has you know so many different uh, earthquakes happened uh, quite recently in Afghanistan? Well, uh, nobody really knows. Uh, this is in the west of Afghanistan near Herat. And it's not mm. a region well known for earthquakes. It's not close to a, the, the edge of a the Indian continent, which is colliding with Asia, it's within the Asian mainland, but there are mountains there and there are faults, yeah. cracks in the Earth's crust that are thrusting the mountains up. And um, a series of earthquakes began about 10 days ago, quite a shallow depth, which is the problem, and has propagated a, a short distance along the mountain belt. So one big earthquake is unfortunate, but there have been about half a dozen large earthquakes. And that's caught everybody by surprise, really. Hmm. Now, what what other factors could have influenced in this occurrence then? Well, once you... The thing about the Earth's crust is it 
it's subject to all kinds of forces. We have got plates shifting around on the outside of the Earth. There used to be a big ocean between India and Asia, and that closed mm. as India drifted northwards. About 20 million years ago, there was a collision belt all through southern Central Asia, and the, the, the forces are still at work there. The rocks yeah. are being crushed. That's where the mountains are being uplifted, the Pamir mountain belt and so on. And every so often, when you, you, you're putting force on something, it breaks and gives way. And virtually what an earthquake is, it's when something breaks and gives way. Yeah. And when you get this break happening in one place, it weakens the place next to it. So that becomes likely to fracture. So that's really what's happening here. But the one earthquake has caused a sort of chain reaction with several other earthquakes happening nearby. Now, usually, the first earthquake is a big one, and afterwards, they're smaller. They're what we call aftershocks. But here, we've had earthquakes measuring. I'm looking at my 6.3, then 5.5, then 6.3 again, then 5.9 again, yeah. then a 6.3, then another 6.3. So they're all maintaining their, their magnitude. So that's what's unusual. But the, the following earthquakes have been almost the same size as the initial earthquake. And um, the last one was about three days ago. So maybe that series has finished, we hope, but possibly not. If we look at the, you know, the, 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 where the tectonic plates are actually are, a lot of them are actually in, in seawater. But the one which is around uh, Afghanistan, and it goes through, you know, the the Middle Eastern areas as well. It goes around Saudi Arabia, uh, next to Egypt as well, uh, near Turkey. Th- those are the ones which are sort of, you know, on on land. Is that one of the causes as well? That you know, because you know, it's the way that it's uh, it's shaped and the way that the placement of the tectonic plates as well. That's why there's a lot of earthquakes which are happening in that particular region. You're right. It's very messy when earthquakes happen inside continents. If you have the edge of an ocean being pushed below the edge of a continent, like the floor of the Pacific is being pushed underneath South America or pushed underneath Japan, the earthquake belts are narrow and quite well understood. Mm. When an ocean closes, which is what's happened uh, uh, in the Middle East to India region, there's an ocean there that we now call Tethys, which disappeared about 20 million years ago, while that ocean was closed, there would have been a narrow belt of earthquakes where the ocean plate was going down. But once mm. you have continent hitting continent, yeah. it gets messier. Fractures propagate through the continental crust on both sides of the collision zone, and the earthquake belt becomes more diffuse and harder to model and harder to predict. Mm. And that's what we're dealing with now in western Afghanistan. Just a small part of that jigsaw has started to, to move a little bit, <laughs> Hopefully the movement will will subside. But the, the, the rate of collision across this belt is uh, I don't know, two or three centimetres per year. So it's a small amount of movement. It builds up until it gives way in a, in a series of big jerks. And we're having a series of big jerks at the moment. And that will hopefully release the, the compressional forces. And that area will then be quiet for maybe a century or so, uh, let's hope, and they went somewhere else hmm. in the meantime. Yeah. Uh, that's how these things work, and it, it's because it's in within continents, in the, it's a collision zone between continents now, that's why the pattern is very complicated, and, and, and the earthquakes, even the locations of where the earthquakes are going to be are so hard to predict. Yes, and um, you know, we can see that in Afghanistan there was there was a series of earthquakes, one after the other. 
Is there is this a regular pattern when earthquakes occur anywhere around the world? Uh, well, usually you have when a big earthquake happens, there are a whole series of aftershocks afterwards, which tend to get smaller and smaller with time. What happened here is the first earthquake was magnitude 6.3 on the scale that we use to measure earthquakes, and the next one was 5.5, then 4.7. So that's good; it's going down in size. Then it went back up to 6.3. That's the unusual thing in this series of earthquakes. The subsequent earthquakes, the aftershocks, have not become smaller. They're, they're still happening at magnitude 6.3. There's been one, two, four earthquakes at magnitude 6.3 over a, a, a 10-day period. That, that's a surprise. That's unusual. I mm. hope that will have died away by now, but we can't be sure. But it is an unusual pattern, and it is surprising scientists. Yep. Um, and as you're a planetary geosciences professor, <clears throat> could you also share with our listeners why you became interested in this and why you've still continued in your career in this? Well, OK, I, I went to university to study. Well, I didn't know what I wanted to study. I started with physics, but I was at Cambridge and you do several sciences. And I discovered geology, which is the science of the Earth. And I got interested with continents moving around and oceans closing. And I was able to do um, a PhD, that's for my doctorate, working in the Sultanate of Oman, where in the Hajar al-Ghabi, there's a series of rocks that have been thrust up from the ocean onto the edge of the Arabian continent. That was an amazing place to learn to map. And I was out there in the field, and I had to use satellite images to help me do the mapping. And I made a career out of using images from space to do geology on the Earth. And now I'm doing it on other planets. I teach, still teach geology on the Earth. But my research is looking at the planet Mercury with images from spacecraft. Hmm. So I've, I've turned it around. I used to look down at the Earth from space. Now I'm looking at other planets using spacecraft. Hmm. Uh, but other planets are fascinating. They're similar to the Earth, but behaving in, in ways that are intriguingly different. The two planets are the same. We've got volcanoes on all planets, but they erupt differently. We haven't got ocean plate type of planets like the Earth, but we've still got tectonics. Mm -hmm. So I like the comparisons between worlds. We'll understand our own world better if we can understand these other worlds better. Mm -hmm. That's the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. And the earthquakes that uh, rise on our world, are they similar to the earthquakes that rise in the other planets? <laughs> well, a, a student of mine had a paper published in a very prestigious journal called Nature Geosciences only a couple of weeks ago looking at big thrust faults on the planet Mercury, mm. um, where we've got rock masses being pushed over each other, basically because Mercury is cooling down and shrinking a little bit. Its radius has decreased by about seven kilometers in the past three billion years. So that's not a lot, but it's enough to cause thrusting. And we didn't know if this thrusting was still continuing, but my, my student Ben Mann, by looking at really high-resolution images, the best images we have, has seen little cracks on top of the... Um, the place where one lot most has to be quite young because otherwise they'd lose their integrity because Mercury is being hit by meteorites and the surface is becoming blurred mm. uh, by the impact ejector of a regolith developing. So small features don't survive long on a planet like Mercury, but we can see them so we know that Mercury is still cracking as these big thrusts are moving. So, yeah, we have tectonics going on on planets. And when you see it, has moved by two kilometres, uh, you think, well, that can't have moved in one boat, but it's just on Earth happen when you get a movement of about 20 metres. 
the rock movements in Afghanistan with these earthquakes is probably only a, a one or two metres in one go, which is to cause a lot of shaking. Mm. So we can see 10 metres of displacement built up on faults on the planet Mercury. We think, well, if these earthquakes are similar size on Earth, uh, similar in size to those on Earth, they must have been thousands and thousands of earthquakes for a very long time period to build up the amount of displacement we see. So mm. from one planet, we'll learn how to understand another planet, we hope. Yep. That's, that's very interesting. Um, thank you for joining us today, Professor. I uh, hope our listeners um, <coughs> valued from oh, the information you gave us. I'm very happy to have joined you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you very much. That was uh, Professor um, David of Planetary Geosciences at the U Open University, Milton Keynes. And he did provide us with some very valuable information in his uh, research. <clears throat> which he had been taken. Absolutely, absolutely. The audio clip that we listened to uh, of His Holiness, uh, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, um, uh, that was actually taken from that was actually taken from his uh, his speech from the uh, inauguration of the of the Nasir Hospital, which was in uh, Guatemala, yeah. back in twenty back in October twenty eighteen. And his holiness went there. He, he uh, you know, inaugurated the mosque. Uh, sorry, the the hospital. the hospital, and he gave a speech a speech there as well. And he talked about how you know we need to help humanity as well. Mm. You know, it doesn't matter what the background, what their background is. It doesn't matter if they're Muslims or, or non-Muslims, or you know, people of religion or people without religion, or non-religious people. We need to help mm. humanity as a whole. That, that's part of our faith, isn't that's it? That's part of the faith. <laughs> Rights exactly. of God and rights of humanity. That is basically what it is, and we need to help uh, help those people uh, who are suffering, who are uh, who are in need. Mm. If they have, if their country has been struck with a with a with a natural disaster, it could be an earthquake, it could be a landslide, it could be flooding, whatever it may be. Um, try our best to help those people um, to get back on their own feet as well. Um, and uh, you know, one of our guests said that you know. You know, if neighboring countries do accept them, which is you know a good thing, mm. but the main priority should obviously be that they can stand fix up, yeah. stand up on their own feet and fix their own country yeah. as well, so that they don't even have to go to other countries and become mm. a burden for other countries. Mm. If they can actually get back, um, because a lot of the a lot of the land in Afghanistan is actually quite fertile. Yeah, you can grow cro yeah. crops over there as well, but it's just a matter because it's a. Uh, a war-torn country, just and because of the conflict. Just because, because of the conflict, the country has been destroyed. Yeah, that's exactly <coughs> what it is. If that goes away, mm. um, and then again, we we spoke about this in the beginning as well. That if there's justice, yeah. if the leaders act with justice, then then mm. then justice can prevail, and then they can stand up on their own mm. feet, and then they can you know actually I look into ways which they can fix their country. Yeah, and here Islamic teaching plays a really big part because. If we imagine ourselves being in that country, yeah. and the narration of the Holy Prophet that is like for yourself, uh, like for your brother, what you like for yourself, yes, <clears throat> then exactly. we can really see the the crisis that others are going through, exactly, and we will try to help them because we will put ourselves in their places. That's uh, absolutely right. <coughs> absolutely right. So with that, we'll we'll conclude this part of the this part of the show because we had quite a few guests that we wanted to speak to. And that's why we prolonged this uh, this uh, segment for quite a bit. But after a short break, we'll come back 
and uh, we'll go into our next segment, uh, which we're talking about uh, domestic abuse and how what we can do to actually tackle this as well, because it's becoming quite a quite you know it's flaring up more as well, and a lot of there's more cases coming out, and there's a lot of different people who are actually subject to this. Um, so we're going to be talking about this as well, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll speak to we'll speak to a guest that we have online uh you know uh, a little bit later on as well so we'll speak we will come back in just a bit my countrymen a religion which does not inculcate universal compassion is no religion at all similarly a human being without the faculty of compassion is no human at all our god has never discriminated between one people and another this is illustrated by the fact that all potentials and capabilities which have been granted to the Aryans have also been granted to the races inhabiting Arabia, Persia, Syria, China, Japan, Europe and America. The earth created by God provides a common floor for all people alike and his sun and moon and many stars are a source of radiance and provide many other benefits to all alike. Likewise, all peoples benefit from the elements created by him such as air, water, fire and earth and similarly from other produce created by him like grain, fruit and healing agents etc. These attributes of God teach us the lesson that we too should behave magnanimously and kindly towards our fellow human beings and should not be petty of heart and illiberal. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. As mentioned before, we're going to be talking about uh, cases of uh, domestic abuse or why domestic abuse is, uh, you know, there's a lot of different cases of that. People are becoming victim of that as well. Um, one of the main causes of that or why is going up or why, you know, there's a lot of people who are suffering this uh, was, was, you know, is because of COVID as well. And uh, there were different cases of, uh, because everyone was at home, mm. people were getting frustrated, people were getting furloughed, no work, yeah. uh, no jobs, uh, a lot of different other you know other factors as well. People, were, you know, because of lockdown, they weren't allowed to go out. So there were different reasons why, you know, why, why a lot of um, people in the household were facing domestic abuse. Yeah. We'll speak to we'll speak to Professor Parveen Ali, who will tell us a little bit more about this as well. And uh, Professor Ali is a is a professor of gender-based violence in the School of uh, Allied uh, Health Professions, Nurses, Midwifery from the University of Sheffield and Doncaster as well. Let's speak to let's speak to them. Peace be upon you and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for, for inviting me here. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. Now, how do you think we can um, we can sort of enhance our understanding? better our understanding of domestic violence and, and and tell us a little bit more about how and why this happens or occurs in the, in the first place. Thank you for asking the question. Um, I think um, why it happened is, uh, first of all, it shouldn't happen and there, there shouldn't be any sort of reasons because the domestic abuse is unacceptable and it shouldn't it shouldn't be in place and if we talk about islamically or otherwise um it it, it shouldn't have a place um and preventing it means that we need to know what is it what behaviors are considered domestic abuse and 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 why should we avoid this 
So I think understanding the impact of domestic abuse and how that's going to cause issues between uh, and affect family harmony is something that we need to understand. We need to understand what are different acts which are considered abuse. It's not only sort of physical abuse that uh, is um, considered domestic abuse. It is about how you treat others, how you kind of speak to them on a daily basis. You, how do you make them feel respected or humiliated or um, or, or not uh, good in things of what they are doing? So um, mm. understanding all of those things is really better. Encouraging open dialogue and talking about domestic abuse. One of the things is that in our community, we don't necessarily talk about it. There is a lot of stigma, so we don't know if it exists. And therefore, uh, people don't necessarily are able to um, to discuss it and um, talk about it. So I think that's something is important. Talking about it will help reduce stigma and issues around that, and this will then also help people to access appropriate support, which is available, which then helps victim organizations and other places to collect appropriate data and talk about what the issue is. And I think it's a whole cycle that needs to um, be um, improved. Um, Your earlier questions about why it happens, there are many different theories about it, but none of them explain domestic abuse completely. which includes that there could be quite a lot of psychological or biological factors which can happen. There could be um, sort of, you know, people may have uh, seen how their parents have been treated by each other or how their mom is treated by their father or the family members and all that can relate to. But none of them single-handedly explains domestic abuse. There's a lot in terms of the house, the society, at every level of the society which happens, which contributes to domestic abuse. Yeah, I mean, uh, quite rightly what you just mentioned as well. There's a lot of different reasons as well. It's not just one thing; can be a number of different things as well. And you said that um, there is this stigma um, and this taboo topic as well. People, you know, if they if they are facing domestic abuse, if they are victim of d- domestic abuse, they most likely they won't really talk about it and mm-hmm. get uh, get the help and the assistance that that they actually need. Um, but how can we? help them how can we help others then to to actually first of all acknowledge and uh, speak up and then obviously deal with domestic abuse so obviously it's quite a challenging and difficult task as well um, but how can we sort of help them with that process okay so um, a we need to understand domestic abuse happens in all culture communities and societies so you know sometimes there is this notion that in Muslim societies either people think it happens a lot or they think it doesn't happen at all um, there's no single society where it happens kind of more or less uh, worldwide the prevalence is about uh, 33% so one in three women would have experienced uh, domestic abuse in their life um, it's it happens in all, all kind of relationships and i think it goes back to how women are seen or considered so it's a, it, uh, it, it, that is a very big issue it does affect men as well but majority of the victims still remains uh, women and the kind of injuries which they experience and um the impact on them is much stronger the number of women who experience abuse is much stronger as well how can we help people speak up is of course as you've said to talk about it and reduce the stigma around um addressing domestic abuse educating communities and school to um and individuals to recognize signs of domestic abuse there are many people who are going through it but they don't necessarily um 
understand uh, that these are the signs of domestic abuse or they're experiencing abuse because they just ignore it, think, oh, you, you know, it will change or maybe it's just me or blaming themselves. Um, and I think unless we increase the awareness of it, it will carry on uh, doing it. We need to create safe and confidential spaces for people that are able to talk about abuse, report abuse, and offer help um, uh, and, and, and refuge when they need to. We need to have appropriate counseling and support services available for victims so um, they uh, can uh, feel safe when reporting to do so. Um, Usually, people don't necessarily know what kind of support is available, where they can go to access support. Many people wouldn't know that they can go to their GP and talk about it as well, and they'll be able to help and support them. So it's knowing what services are available um, for for those who are affected by abuse. But if you know anyone who is affected by abuse, and she's speaking up and talking about it, I think um, are some of the things that we can do to deal with um, domestic abuse. And of course, uh, we need to advocate for policy changes and legal protection of victims and you know how um, they are treated. Um, as professionals, we also need to make sure that we are speaking to uh, people and giving them that encouragement that they're able to share their experiences and then we signpost them appropriately to the right kind of services. And I think all those different strategies uh, are useful in helping people to speak up and in supporting those who are experiencing abuse. It's, it is something which, uh, you know, uh, I've been talking about as always. It is quite difficult to actually speak up uh, speak up about it, especially when it's you that is the victim and mm. then trying to, you know, trying to actually, you know, uh, report that as well. But what 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 are some of the factors um, that actually causes domestic violence to go unreported as well? Um, I, I, I we spoke about and you spoke about that. You know, there, sometimes it can be um, a, a taboo topic as well, but uh, the stigma attached to that as well. But what are some of the other things? Um, yeah, and you're right. Speaking about abuse or, or, or acknowledging that you're experiencing it is very, very difficult. Um, and evidence research suggests that it takes about two years for somebody to even acknowledge and being able to um, to talk about it. So I work with a lot of healthcare professionals and where we train them um, to ask questions regularly and to talk to victims. And one of the things that they find very frustrating is that victims do not want to disclose or do not want to do anything about it. Hmm. And what we make them understand that, you know, speaking up and getting to that level is really um, sort of difficult and it can take them up to years. So therefore, asking questions every time does help. You think it may not help, but it does help because it yeah. makes them think through it. Um, in terms of what are the things which they make them stay, I mean, one of the questions which people usually ask is why people endure abuse, why they don't leave abusive relationships. Yeah. And that's because the, there could be many different things. Um, starting off from the biggest challenge usually women have is that fear of uh, uh, retaliation or retribution from, from, from abuser, a fear of losing children. Um, uh, either via the family or uh, many of them have been told that if you speak up about it or something in social services are going to take your children away so that's what makes people do not talk about abuse 
um, they could be um, depending on, I mean, are we saying generally, so then the, the stuff about fear of losing children, not knowing where the, um, uh, uh, the services are, hoping that the person would change um, and uh, blaming it themselves and trying to improve it. Those are some of those uh, things. If we talk about women from minority cultures um, and religious communities, they could also be about um, cultural and societal pressures to keep the family matters um, within the home and to to not to talk about it, economic dependence on the uh, on the abuser, not knowing the language of uh, language proficiency, not knowing the language and using that appropriately to be able to to access appropriate support, not knowing what resources and support is available and how they, that can be accessed. Um, and of course, the biggest part is the the shame and kind of associated guilt and um, you know all of that experienced by victims and we live in a patriarchal society where um, women who go through these things are often feel, feel blamed for leaving the relationship and they will never be able to explain the true extent of abuse which they experience in their relationship. Mm. So I think those are some of the things which uh, make it very, very difficult for people to talk about domestic abuse or or to report and even when it is reported it it it's quite kind of it's taken quite a long time before yeah. that yeah mm. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know while the victim is going through this domestic abuse and obviously is going through <coughs> a trauma how mm -hmm. can we as a society and as uh, individuals uh, ensure the victim's safety and help them cope with that trauma of domestic abuse that they're going through mm. well um, I think first of the things is believing the victim if somebody is saying that you know they're experiencing something it's just encouraging to the it, it it's in, encouraging them to speak up and um sharing that you believe them that you you know they're not just making it up and it's not them who are just feeling it and which then means that they are able to share their feelings and they're able to um to 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 to, to share the true extent of the abuse they're experiencing. Um, having appropriate support available, having appropriate um, shelters and protections from safe houses and other places, having culturally appropriate services provided to them where people feel safe um, when they have come out um, to it, providing access to um, therapy, counseling, so depending on, you know, somebody's trauma and what specific, identifying their needs and responding to it, and everyone would have a different needs depending on the the stage of life they have, whether they have children or not, and you know, um, what's the history of trauma. So, um, it, appropriate assessment and then appropriate sort of um, um, opportunities to support them. And economics is a very big thing, so making sure that they have got um, access to some sort of financial um, assistance program and their mm -hmm. economic needs are met. And as a community, what we could do is like encourage talking about these things and encourage support um, available to those who are who have experienced it and discouraging abuse I mean you know it shouldn't be something which is condoned at community level or society level and I think that's the uh, biggest thing which we can do and finally increasing awareness so people are able to understand what is domestic abuse how can it happen and what are the signs to to uh, to uh, note this 
and and how to report sort of thing. What are our responsibilities um, in whatever role we um, are at work or in in the society? What is it that we can do to ensure that people are supported enough? Yeah. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Parvinali, for joining us today. You've provided our listeners with a lot of information that they can benefit from. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks a lot. Bye. That was Professor Parveen Ali, who is a professor of gender-based violence in the School of Allied Health Professions. She did uh, give some insightful information for us, uh, which I uh, hope our listeners did um, attract a lot of things from. Yeah. And I'm sure it helped. Uh, it will help us in the future also. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we'll, we'll listen to another audio clip, uh, a brief audio clip, um, on the which will talk about the different roles of men and women in society, um, and how uh, you know the the importance of each role being played as well. So let's listen to let's listen to uh, this right now. These and many other misconceptions are the lived experiences of Muslim women. Unfortunately, that still plague the conversation surrounding rights of women in Islam. These dominant mainstream narratives have victimized Muslim women in different ways by appropriating Islamic text to justify discrimination against women and impose social and legal restrictions on women's rights. These assertions, as we all know, are farther from the truth. Now, to understand the rights, honor, dignity, and status of women in Islam, it is sufficing to judge the position of women before the advent of Islam. Before the advent of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, women were bound to enslavement and servitude, and most often their positions were worse than animals. In pre-Islamic Arabia, particularly and other parts of the world, female infanticide practices run rife as female children were considered an evil omen. Women were not entitled to property and could not receive shares of wealth in the event of the demise of their fathers or husbands. Once married, women were declared properties of their husbands and in no circumstance could they demand separation, no matter how afflicted they were, with atrocious customs, including selling women as commodities, and even powers that summarily put women to death for mundane acts. In addition to this, women had no rights over their children or any say in domestic affairs. They simply did not hold a status within society. Therefore, all avenues and authorities that would have otherwise served as a sense of comfort, fulfillment, and the very essence of their being in all spheres of life rather became a life of distress and condemnation. Contrary to other religions and societies, which regarded women as being possessed of inherent sin and wickedness. The Holy Quran contains hundreds of teachings which apply to both men and women alike. Islam first conclusively established and safeguarded the rights of women 
1,400 years ago. Rights that eluded and still continue to elude women in the Western world. Any rights that have been granted to women in recent times have been a result of necessity rather than a deep desire for women's progress. The promised Messiah salam, said, no other religion has safeguarded the rights of women as Islam has done. It lays down an injunction so succinctly, just as men have rights upon women, so do women have rights upon men. So this was, uh, you know, this audio clip was from the the uh, the annual convention, uh, the, the women's section of the annual convention, uh, convention as well, which talked about the rights, the roles and responsibilities of both men and women. But that's all we have time for uh, on today's show. Hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed it. Uh, we enjoyed it here in the studio uh, as well. Um, until next time, we'll come with some uh, new topics and some new uh, discussions as well but thank you to all the guests the producers the researchers the technical technical department as well until next time assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh